So in honor of Mother's Day, I'm going to start today's message talking about NBA, the National Basketball Association, in case you didn't know what that meant. Some of you guys chuckle, but here's honestly why. Um, my mother loves basketball. Like, she loves it. And I know she loves me, so sh today she's watching. And so I like, this is a perfect entryway to this. This is how much she loves basketball. I called her just the other day, and I said, Mom, you know Sundays are kind of long, hard days for me, and it's Mother's Day on Sunday. But I want to be able to just honor you and spend time. And so I gave her a choice. I said, we can go out like, and just have a meal together, or we can do something else. This is the something else that she decided. She said, come over to the house and let's watch the NBA playoffs. And I was like, way to go, mom. Like, that's the type of mom I have that she just, she loves basketball. So I had to throw this reference in today. Now, during this time of year when like attention and eyes start getting, you know, put on this sp specific sport, a lot of times a conversation comes up. And the conversation is like, who is the goat? Who's the greatest of all time when it comes to professional basketball? So let me throw it out to you guys. Who's the greatest of all time? Ooh, I heard a pretty good consensus. Last time I heard all kinds of different names. But it usually, as the conversation boils down, it usually boils down to two names. Jordan, LeBron. Last service I heard Kareem, Magic, I heard all kinds of stuff. But it usually kind of boils down to those two names. Now you can do this in all kinds of different areas. Last service they did not have a thing to say about this, so let's see if you guys do. Who's the greatest musical act, band, artist of all time? George Strait. George Strait. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. Okay. Who's the greatest actor of all time? Robin Williams, Sean Connery. Last, last service, somebody said Will Smith. I'm like, Will Smith be smacking people in the face. But when we, we start talking about these different things, really it, the conversation goes on and on and it's kind of fun, but it all kind of boils down to how do you actually define greatness? So in basketball, what is your definition of greatness? In acting, what is your definition of greatness? And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. So the title of today's message is simply this, the definition of greatness. Now it's Christians, not talking about basketball. We all know who's the real greatest of all time. Jesus. There you go. You got the preschool answer. Yeah, if you don't know the right answer, you just say Jesus. You'll get it right most of the time. But the issue is, we talked about all these other greatests, and especially when it comes to sports. You know, a lot of us, we talk about Jesus being the greatest of all time, but we actually want it, and we look up to, and we emulate more of these other people that we talk about at the greatest of all time. We rep their brands. We wear their shoes. We act like them. Sometimes we behave like them. And we're repping this greatest of all time. And I want to tell you, we got to clothe ourselves in the brand of the real greatest of all time. And the clothing brand of the real greatest of all time is not something that's fun to wear. It's not a Nike swoosh. It's not, it's not an Air Jordan symbol. 1 Peter 5.5 5 tells us the clothing brand of Jesus. It says this, all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So the clothing brand of Christ, the swoosh of our Savior, it's not just a cross necklace. It's not what a what would Jesus do bracelet or a nice verse tattooed on your arm. 
It's clothing yourself in humility towards one another. Greatness defined as humility and humble living. And we're invited to join with him on this. And this is a main theme that we're going to see in this passage of scripture today. The real talk, if you're asking who is the greatest, is Jordan. Come on, right? Yeah, exactly. But we get worked up about this, but guess what it is? It's a rubber ball and a metal hoop. It's a rubber ball and a metal hoop. And some people say, well, look at all the golden rings. That gold is asphalt where my king lives. The greatest of all time walks on that trash. So we, we get so worked up about some of these things that we say are the greatest. And today I want us to focus on who actually is. His name is Jesus. So the way that we should all define what true greatness is, is this. The definition, definition of greatness is simply that it's just humble service. Humble service. You know, we define, like I said, greatness by all these other things, points and championships and, you know, awards and accolades. But Jesus in Scripture defines greatness by simply humble service. But here's my hunch. Most of us do not pray a prayer that I don't like to pray. And it's this, God, humble me. That is not probably a prayer that's rolled off of a lot of our lips. That's, a, that's kind of one of those dangerous prayers like, God, give me patience. And he's like, all right, let's, let's do this. So it's kind of a scary prayer to say, God, humble me, but it's something that we're called to be is live humble lives. And today I'm going to show us how God wants to answer that prayer in our life. So we're going to talk about humility, but here's what I don't want us to do. And I never want us to do a lot of this. I don't want you to take something that we are going to hear today and think, just how can I be better at that? So sometimes when we talk about humility, we're like, okay, I'm going to become more humble. And if you're like a type A driven person, kind of like me, you're like, I'm going to work on this thing and I'm going to get better at this. And then I'm going to be the best at being humble. So then you become prideful in being humble. That's great. You know, there was, there's a lot of like young men that I've had the opportunity to kind of mentor and care for along the way. And there was one time when there was a a gentleman who was actually older than me and he asked, hey, can you help disciple me and mentor me? And I was like, okay, that's fine. I can do that. I'll spend time with you. This guy was driven, successful businessman. He was, if you know, kind of that alpha male mentality, like always go, drive, drive, drive. That was him. Super nice guy, but, and I knew him already and I knew we were going to have to have a conversation that was going to be awkward because he just so happened to be very prideful very arrogant. And so that's kind of an awkward thing to tell someone, hey, you're really prideful. But guess what? I don't mind awkward conversation. So I told him, I think we need to work on humility. And I remember saying, why don't you do this? And I gave him this passage of scripture. I said, read this, study it, really try to soak it in. The next week when we gathered together, remember him coming to me and go, he goes, boom, I memorized the whole thing. What's next? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is it going, like working on the, the pride and humility thing? It's going great. I've got a whole list of how to get better. And he had turned it into a goal to achieve. I don't want humble living for you today to be, I don't want you to leave it and leave today thinking this is a goal to achieve. We're going to learn it's a person to be like. It's a person to emulate. 
And this isn't to throw shade at him because I love that guy. And man, he is, he's grown through almost all of that. And he is one of the most humble guys that I know. But it wasn't just by checking a box. It was by learning to be more like Jesus. So today, as we talk about humility, I want us to take a look at three things. Specifically in this passage that we're going to see about humility. We're going to talk about the purpose that Paul is writing to them and saying, here's the purpose of humility for you guys. The opposition to humility and then the pathway. And really, it's not the pathway to humility. We're going to talk about what the pathway to greatness is. What the pathway to greatness is. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is just this purpose. In the first two verses, we see Paul saying the same thing that we've talked about a lot. Unity, partnership, togetherness. And he's saying it over and over again to them. And he's reminding them how important this is. And as I was kind of going through and really praying about this passage and saying, God, what is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want us to know in here? What I saw is that unity can only exist when there's humility. Like it's really difficult to be unified together if we're just consumed with our own ideas and thoughts. Like how can I work together with somebody else when I only care about me? Think about them in a marriage. Now, I've gone through lots of marital counseling with people, and usually it's two people who have a lot of let's think about me. It's really hard to be unified without humility. And in this passage, he starts by just talking about unity and partnership. And honestly, what I see here is the purpose of humility is unity. In this passage, he's saying, I want you guys to be unified. This shows us that the purpose is to cultivate a heart that values other over just yourself. And when I was reading and praying over this, one of the things that I pray over this church, if you weren't here on Thursday, I gave some things that I pray over this church, and one of them I didn't say was this. I pray that God would continue to grow this to be a church that's diverse. And here's what I mean. I don't mean colorful. Okay, I, I want all different people of all different colors here, but colorful and diversity are two different things. Because I want this to be a church with people from different backgrounds, different ideals, different thoughts, all kinds of stuff that are coming together with one purpose and one mission to make Jesus matter more than anything else. But the only way that that works is if we come hum humbly to each other. Because if we all come with our ideas better, our thoughts are stronger, our ways are right, man, it's just going to clash, 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 and it's never going to be what you want it to be. So when I pray for diversity, what I've now learned through this passage is also, God, let this be a place where the people who come live humbly with each other, partnership with each other. It's kind of like this band. So they're up here leading you guys in worship, but what if they came up here and Alex, who's my boy, he's one of those kids I've discipled for a long time, and he was killing it on the keys today. Um, what if Alex decided he's just going to play How Great Thou Art no matter what's being played? Because he can kill that song. But what if he just decided, I'm just going the whole time? That wouldn't work. That'd be him doing his own thing while everyone else is trying to partner together. And so when we just decide, I'm going to be the center of attention, what we're doing is we're not creating something that sounds beautiful. It's just a mess. So I pray that God would just bring us together humbly so that we can make some beautiful 
sounds for the Lord together as a church. So he's reminding them, first off, I want you guys to be together. And then he starts explaining, but it's going to take humility. In verses three through four, he starts to explain the importance of humility, but he also gives them an idea of what the opposite and the opposition to humility is. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's four commands. There's four commands in these two verses. Two of them are positive. Two of them are negative. So he gives them two positives and two negatives. Don't look at your own interests, but at the interests of others. So it's a negative, positive. And what he's talking to them about, he's like, you need to be humble and you need to step away from the opposition to humility. And the opposition to humility is pride. Pride is a term that if you're at church long enough, you're going to hear, don't be prideful. Pride is a thing you don't want to be. And then you step out and people tell you to be proud of your country. And if you're in high school, they're like, have some school pride. Or you step out, maybe in, if, if you're like me as a teenager, half the time, you're lucky if I looked halfway put together. My mom would say, do you have any pride in your appearance today? And so you're like, this is confusing. I thought pride was bad. Honestly, all those other terms, they're really just talking about an ownership, like an ownership and a joy. We should have ownership and joy of the places we live and the schools we are and the way that we put ourselves together. But what pride is, pride is a preoccupation of self. Pride is a preoccupation of self. It's when you make yourself the center of attention, when you think of yourself as better than everyone else, when you're just all consumed in your brain with you. And pride actually shows itself off in a couple different disguises. One of them we're all pretty familiar with. It dresses itself in something that a lot of us, we would just call arrogance. And we've, you've all probably ran across someone that has that type of pride in their life. They just, they think everything they have is because of their achievements. Every title they've earned is because of the things that just they've done. They give they take all the credit. Guys, if you woke up this morning and it's Mother's Day and you turned to your mother of your child and you said, you're so lucky to have me, you might have a problem, okay? But we've all kind of known that. And here's the actual disguise that it wears sometimes. It's the disguise of stress and worry. Because when we're overwhelmed with stress and worry, what we're really saying is everything is dependent on me and I have to fix it. It's a self-consumption. That's why the Bible tells us to Sabbath, because when we have to rest, we're actually saying, okay, I'm stepping back and giving God control. So pride sometimes shows up in stress and arrogance, but here's another one that we don't think of a lot, and it's a little bit harder to talk about, but sometimes pride shows up in self-loathing and deep insecurity. See, deep insecurity and self-loathing can actually be a form of pride because what you're saying is, your view of yourself matters more than God's view of you. You know, if you've ever been in those pity party, woe is me, maybe, maybe even you struggle with depression, a lot of times all you can think about is yourself. And I know this is really hard to hear and I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but we've got to get out of some of those mindsets because when you're just pre all consumed with yourself, that's a sense in a form of pride. And there's some ways that we can break that. Some of you, 
Maybe if you're in this category and you're in self-loathing and self-doubt, you may need to go just talk to somebody, get some therapy, get some counseling, get some care, say it out loud, try to figure out where that's coming from. But what we're gonna see in this passage is one of the ways that we can get over pride is to start serving other people. When you start going out of your way to care and love for other people and you start thinking of others, it's hard to care and think of others and be so consumed with yourself. It's really difficult to do both of those things at the same time. And if you're thinking, well, I am humble because, you know, I'm always kind of that down, I'm not good enough, and so that is humble. Jesus was the epitome of humility, and he had also at the same time total confidence in who God called him to be. It takes a lot of confidence to stand up and say, I am the light of the world. That's not self-loathing and self-doubt. That's a confidence that comes from God. But he humbly served. So, if you are struggling with either one of those areas, maybe arrogance or self-doubt, I just want you to remember, you are God's creation. You are loved. He values you. Every gift comes from him. Every ability comes from him. And when you think any other way, you're disagreeing with God. And that's a form of pride. So, a lot of times we've, if you've been around long enough, you've heard somebody talk about humility or humble living, you might have heard this. You know, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So you may, again, it's, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But I think biblical humility takes it to a different level. I think biblical humility says this, it's thinking of others more and thinking more of others. So here's what that means. Biblical humility isn't just thinking about yourself less, it's thinking about others more. And then that second part is, when you're thinking more of others, what that really is saying, I'm thinking the best of others. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm horrible at that a lot of times. You know, especially, you know, we all make the jokes about driving because it's something that most adults are all familiar with. When, so I've, right now, we're still living in Clarksville. So driving here sometimes is incredibly frustrating because they want to sit in the left lane and you're like, would you please move? And your mind immediately goes to, this person must be dumb. But if I'm thinking more of others, I have to change that mentality. Honestly, it's just a simple start that I have to start thinking, well, I don't know. Maybe they, they've got bad tires and they don't want to ruin the dunk dunk on the other, who knows? But when we think about others more and think more of others, we give people the benefit of the doubt. When somebody doesn't text you right back or call you right away, you don't immediately jump to negative conclusions. You think, you know what? I'm going to think more of others. That's a different type of humble living. And that's what we see as biblical humility. So, how do we combat? How do we not fall into this trap of pride? How do we stay humble enough to be united to serve a purpose? Verse 5 is the kind of lynch pin here. It's the key. Because Paul is talking to them, and he's talking to them kind of in this general terms of humility, and he says, you know what? Actually, just do this thing. He says, in your relationships, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. It's like I've given you some instructions. It's not about doing this thing. It's about being like this person. It's like, it's not just a character trait to, to learn. It's a person to be like. He shifts his focus to Jesus. Then we get to verses 6 through 11. This is where we see the path of humility. 
is sacrificial service. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is one of the most incredible passages in all of scripture. It's deep and rich in theology. Um, I've, you know, taught and talked about this passage for weeks. There's been books written just on this passage. A lot of people feel that it might have been a song that Paul, that was um, sung a lot by the early church that Paul has included in this letter, but it speaks a lot about the power of Jesus. But today, I really just want to read it in the context of what Paul is trying to teach this church, and I think that he's also trying to teach us today. Because he says, share the mindset of Christ, and then he gives, it gives an example of who Jesus is. So this is what it says. It says, look at who, so he's talking about Jesus, being in the very nature God. So he said, basically he's telling you Jesus is God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he's saying, one of the other translations says, to be grasped. So he's saying, even though he's God, he's about to humble himself. Even though he has rights to everything, and he could literally grasp everything, he releases it to humble himself. And he's going to go to show us what that looks like. But sometimes that's our first thing we need to start. We don't want to serve. We don't want to be humble with someone because we're grasping something that we don't want to let go of. Maybe it's a past hurt that somebody, maybe somebody hurt us deeply. We're like, I'm not going to let go of this. You know, when I used to teach kids and teenagers, um, I would always give them a talk about holding grudges and unforgiveness. And what I'd make them do is I'd give them a potato in this hand. And I'd just say, okay, have this potato. And they'd walk around with the potato in their hand and I'd say, okay, now I need you to, and I'd give them certain tasks to do. And they couldn't do those tasks because they were holding on to something they needed to let go of. And there's sometimes things that are just weak, won't let go of, and God has called us to do something different, but we're just stuck holding on to this thing. Again, it might be bitterness. It also might be success. Sometimes we're successful and we have money and we have things and we're like, no, I want this more than I want to have to take the time to actually step out and serve or to humbly be kind to someone. God and Abad decided, I'm going to let go of it all to come serve you. And Paul is saying, this is the mindset that we should have. So, what are the things that maybe you're grasping onto? And you need to be like, what's the movie? Frozen. You need to be like Elsa and just let it go. Don't make me sing, guys. But maybe you just need to let it go and just be like, God, I've been holding on to this thing and finding so much comfort in this. But I see that Jesus who's fully God, decided to just be like, all right, I'm letting go of this to come serve. Then verse seven, it says, he made himself nothing, but taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we see there's this like going low, going low, He's humbled himself, made nothing, form of a man. It's like just going lower and lower and lower. And it reaches this ultimate like depth. He experienced death and not just any death, death on a cross. Something that was a criminal's death. Not just a criminal's death, like a heinous, horrible criminal's death. One that Jews just thought that, you know what, this is completely unclean. This shouldn't ever happen to a Jew. It was the worst death that there could be. If you don't know, this was a death by suffocation, asphyxiation, slow, agonizing, but Jesus humbled himself for us 
all the way to this depth, lower, 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 everything he could, everything he could to love us, to serve us. And then what we see is the most powerful king did not use what was available to him to free himself. He used it to serve others. I always want us to never forget this. Christ humbled himself voluntarily. We don't need to get mad at Herod or Pilate or any of these guys that killed him. Jesus gave himself up freely for us. He humbled himself on our behalf. We don't need to feel pity on Jesus. We need to be humble before the king. So it goes to this ultimate low. And then we read this next passage. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, every tongue and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in the first section, we see low, low, low. Then we get to the turning point of all humanity, the cross. After the death on the cross, Jesus put in a tomb, he raised from the dead, and it just exalted high, high, high. And we get to the ultimate. He is now King and Lord of all. It's the reverse economy of Jesus. It's like, serve and be humble, and then let me be the one that lifts you up. And that's what he's saying to us. A lot of us, we want to seek the stage, the status, the thing. And God is saying, okay, in my kingdom, to be great, you serve. To be great, you live humbly. And he's showing us the mindset of Christ is that. And now, it says, Jesus is Lord of all. There's not a square inch in this entire world that does not belong to Jesus. Colossians 1 says this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and he lives. And that should make us excited. But it didn't, it, it all showed us in that, it was low, 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 lifted up. Because of that, we now have to respond. We have a response to make. The first act of humility that we have to decide is to say this statement that this proclaims, Jesus is Lord. And Lord is a kind of a, a word that we might throw around, but when they said this, this is what got them killed. Because they were saying, Jesus is king of all, he's the ruler of all, I'm subject to whatever he tells me to do, not Caesar, Jesus. And are we willing to actually say that he's Lord of all? I know I might say that, but do I actually let Jesus speak into every area of my life? And the honest to God answer is probably not the way I should. And so I have to every day remind myself, okay, I have to be humble before Jesus and say, okay, he's Lord. Because honestly, here's what's happened. Jesus, especially kind of in our culture, in our area, has kind of just become mid you ask people, what do you think about Jesus? Man, he's a good guy. What do you think about Jesus? He's a great teacher. Like, he says some cool stuff. That, that's, not, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not good teacher, say good stuff. Jesus is Lord or he's nothing. That's the choice. 
John Stott, he wrote about the way that people in scripture interacted with Jesus. And he said there was really just three kind of ways that people interacted. He says they either did this. They either hated him and tried to kill him. Or they were afraid of him and they ran for him. Or they were absolutely in love with him and gave him their entire life. But no person ever had a moderate, medium reaction to Jesus. We have the moderate, medium reaction to Jesus all the time. And we've either got to, we've got to just decide no or to step in humbly and say, okay, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. I humble myself before you. That's that getting, we have to do that on our own part. Get low, go low, go low. So he can lift us up. And we go low when we serve. We go low when we think of other people. Honestly, today, for some of you guys, it's a really hard day. Mother's Day is not the easiest day for every person. Whether it's from loss or grief or pain and struggles. For some of you, Mother's Day is hard because you maybe didn't have the greatest mom. Maybe she's still alive. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's real, real difficult and tough. Because even for the people we don't like, we're still called to humble ourselves and serve them. And it might be just a simple text of Happy Mother's Day. Doesn't you have to include a bunch of flowery stuff? It might be, you know, might be a, any of you guys, male, female. It's a simple act of service. Uncomfortable, possibly. Jesus died on a cross, guys. Sometimes we have to take little uncomfortable acts to serve and show somebody else our love for them. So humility is not just a path to finding joy now. It's the path to everlasting, sustaining joy that goes on forever and ever. I don't know if you've ever met a humble person that is always willing to just serve with a smile. They're thinking of other people. Those are the best people to be around. Those are the kind of people, that's, that's, that's the kind of person I want to be like, what do you need? How can I help? And not to be trampled on, not to be like overwhelmed, but just, I'm trying to be like Jesus. My perfect? No but I'm just trying to do my best to be like him. So the question is, whose brand are you repping? Remember, are we wearing the brand of the greatest of all time? That's humility. Both in Colossians and 1 Peter, it says, clothe yourself in that. And humility is serving others, sharing the mindset of Christ to love them. Now, I want to start doing something different as we end our times together each week. I know this, this sounds horrible, but I'm just like all of you guys. This past week when I was at my mom's house and we were watching basketball, she made mention of my sermon from last Sunday. She listened to it. Guess who didn't remember anything that was said last Sunday? This guy. And I'm like, oh man. If it's not speaking enough to me that it's motivating me to maybe be a little bit different. I can't remember it. How can I expect the congregation I lead to be applying it and using it in their life? Because I know, man, we leave this place and maybe it hit us, but we're like, I don't, we walk out the door and it's like, oh, that was pretty good. It felt, but I don't know what to do with it. And we just kind of go on our day. Right here, same guy doing the same thing. So I want to just start taking the message that we have and giving it some legs. 
giving you just simple application steps that you can either decide to do or not. But if you do them, it'll help reinforce Sunday more than just sitting here. Just taking our message and putting it into motion. So here's a few things this week that you can work on, even if you just do one of them. First one is try to do this. Try to memorize Philippians 2.5. It's a short verse. It's a simple verse. It just, it's the one that talks about sharing the same mindset of Christ, serving others in that mindset. And when you get frustrated with somebody, there's times when you have to go, okay, I need to share the mindset of Christ and not choke them out, okay? Yes. Man, if, if we would just in relationships with, in business, on teams, um, in marriages, if we just said, okay, I'm gonna share the mindset of Christ. So do your best to memorize that verse. For some of you, it just might be sticky noting. Sticky note the word serve others and put it somewhere where you're gonna see it. I always say put it on a mirror because we always all look at our faces. But even if it's, maybe you are a person that I'm at the fridge all the time or I drive a car and I need to stick it on the steering wheel. Just for this week, sticky note, serve others. I put that one in there in honor of my mom. Man, you walk over to her house, she got sticky notes everywhere about just verses and things. But put it somewhere where you're gonna see it as a reminder that I wanna be a humble person who serves others. And then the other one is just do something for somebody else. Find something and do something for somebody else. Sometimes it's just you, it's an attentive ear. It's just listening to somebody. That might be a doing something. Might be going to next the next steps table and saying, "How can I serve this church?" We had a great group of um, dream teamers here on Thursday night. I was able to share some of the future vision of our church. I'll share with you guys at some point, but I gave them some sneak peek of some things that we want to do. And we also had people show up that they were just interested, like, "I want to serve," and I was excited about that. But find a way to serve. Some of you guys, you have kids that are in kids ministry. And here's the way you can serve them. When you pick them up, I did kids ministry for a long time. So I know there's, question, there's two questions you guys will ask when you pick up your kids. The first one is always this, did you have fun? It's a great question. Don't ever, don't ever not ask that question because what you're really asking them is did they speak your language? Because you want to make sure they speak your language. But then the second one you usually ask is, what'd you guys learn? What'd you talk about? And don't just blow it off. Like be intentional to listen to them and ask them further questions about what, that's discipleship, parents. That's what we're called to do. But that's serving them. Because if you talk to a three or four-year-old, man, they'll talk about all kinds of weird, random stuff. Serve them. Humble yourself. Listen. And then the last one is just, it's a culmination of all those things. Serve, listen more, think the best of others. And when you do these things for other people, guess what you end up giving them? Jesus. You start giving them Jesus just by your humble attitude. This is really important because the idea of humble service is how Christianity exploded. Taking care of the needs of others, putting others before themselves. You know, when the Black Plague, when it ravaged the world and people were dying and it was, it was super infectious Guess who was out there caring for those who were dying and super infectious? Christians. Because they were saying, I want to be there to love, to care. And when I see myself in the mirror, I'm like, I don't know that I would be willing to do that. But that's what Jesus would have done. 
And I need to be probably a little bit more like Jesus because that type of love is what it just continued to explode the church. And I think churches, we grasp onto that and say, I'm gonna live a life of humble service. That'll explode this church. It'll explode every church if they just could grasp on to putting others before themselves. So I'm gonna pray dangerous prayer today as we end our time. God, humble me. God, humble us. It's a scary thing to pray, but I think it's worth it.